night because we just we know where it comes from. We know how it, we got the words that we got. So I think that's really awesome. Um, if you don't have a Bible tonight, because I know you probably came expecting to hear more of that, I would I, I suggest you just grab one um, or just pass them out if you want to. Um, and then we're going to be we're starting out in Galatians chapter three, verses ten through fourteen is what I'm going to where I'm going to start reading. And I'll tell you what I got laid out for us tonight, just ahead of the time. That way you can follow along. We're going to look at these passages. I'm going to give you kind of a historical context of these passages, kind of what the Jewish community would have been thinking and the conversation they were having, and then how can we apply it to our lives. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing. So let's look at these verses. <clears throat> and it says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So, like I said, I want to give us a little bit of a historical context just on um, Galatia in general to begin with. That way we can kind of understand where we're at, because um, I kind of just hopped into the middle of the book. Um, so, but the historical context, you want to throw the map up there, Jimmy? I'm taking this out of Eric's playbook. I got a map for us so we can see what we're looking at. Good, awesome. So if you want to flip over to Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 13 and 14 and then verses 44 and 48 just to kind of give you the historical context. So this is where Paul was on his missionary journey. He was traveling through Galatia. This would have been the conversation that he would have had and that was, would have been what would have made him want to write this letter to them. So Acts 13, yep, and we're going to look at verse 13 and 14 first. All right, and then you're going to see some of the names on the map up here that I'm going to read. So, now Paul and his companions set sail from Patmos and came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. So we can see that he's basically right in the middle or right towards the south of Galatia there in Pisidian Antioch. That's where he is when he sits down to have this conversation. Now, the reason why I wanted you to have your Bible is because I'm not going to read um, the verses following until 44, but just kind of skim that real quick. It is incredible. Paul summarizes the gospel from Moses all the way to the resurrection in those following verses. Um, but it seems to just fall on deaf ears, um, is what, because that, that was, you know, when he sat down, that's why he started to teach. So um, I would suggest go back and read that because it is incredible. Um, but yeah, pick up again with me at Acts chapter 13, verse 44 through 48. And it says, The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the, of the Lord. But when the, the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, 
since you, tr- since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles hear us, they heard us, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life, believed. So you can flip back over to Galatians. Um, that ties into basically what he was doing here. You know, the gospel came to the Gentiles. And it's no surprise that Christianity, it began as a Jewish messianic movement. It came to the Jews first. It, you know, they were the ones expecting the Messiah, you know, but it quickly spread to the Gentiles. And that ends up sparking a huge debate. And I had you flip over too soon, but I'll, it's just one verse. In Acts 15, it's kind of when the huge debate started. Um, and it's just basically, we've heard this debate before. Eric's preached about it. It was the same thing in Philippians. Um, but Acts chapter 15, verse 1 says, uh, But some men came down from Judea, um, were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So, um, you know, Israel, that's how they were set apart. That's how they were, they viewed themselves as God's people. Um, they viewed themselves out of the religious practices. They had to have their circumcision. They had to eat kosher. They had to observe the Sabbath. You know, so that's why this is a stumbling block for them. And that's why Paul is trying to, you know, so fervently convince them that it's cursed. The law was just, you know, it's cursed to try and find your salvation in the law. And so in Galatians, the book begins with Paul explaining that the Jewish Christians are embracing a different gospel. And he defends his authority as an apostle. And then he even calls out Peter and his hypocrisy in chapter 2, verse 14, if you want to just move your eyes over there, we'll read that. And he says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, Before them all, if you thought a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? It's like you're not even following the law. How can you expect the Gentiles to follow the law? So he kind of calls him out on that. And then we see his, like, and then we see kind of the summary of everything he's trying to say in chapter 2, verse 16. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so he's, you know, he sounds like a broken record, but that's what he wants to get across. And then he gets really frustrated in the beginning of the chapter 3. And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And so then, then we come to our verses tonight. You know, and then I'm just going to read them again for us. It says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now, the next part I want to take us through 
is what does the word cursed mean to the Jewish community? And I don't know if you guys ever did a word study on the word curse, or if you have the ESV app on your phone, um, but just type in the search bar, the word curse. There's a lot of verses in the Bible that deals with curses. Now, I'm not going to read all of them for us tonight, but we are going to look at some of them um, just to kind of get us context and get us understanding what they would have known and what Paul was trying to teach them. So um, the first place that we see the word cursed in the Bible, can anybody guess? I'm sure. Genesis, yeah, Genesis chapter 3, at the fall. That's when the uh, whole curse began. So we're going to look at that. So turn to Genesis. I'm going to walk you through the Old Testament. Actually, we're just going to go to Genesis and Deuteronomy. So, (laughs) (coughs) sorry. Yeah, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 14 through 19. It says, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the fields. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pains in childbearing. Um, In pain you shall bring forth children. You desire... Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground uh, because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then Genesis chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Just flip the page, or it may just be right there. Um, It's not too much longer that we see the next generation mess up to and get cursed again. Um, And it's Cain and Abel. So it's Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And so that's just another echo, just like um, God asking Adam and Eve, where are you in the garden? It's not that he doesn't know. It's just he's given them an opportunity here to speak up. But where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out from me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened um, its mouth to receive your, bro- your brother's blood uh, from your hand. So we can see that sin directly, a curse follows, directly follows a sin. And the curse grew to a breaking point to where even God had to wipe out all humanity. We know that from Noah's story. You know, and it comes to that breaking point, Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. But then, you know, the flood narrative uh, is kind of just like a decreation story, just a reset. And it was brought about by the sin. And it was every generation, it's still every generation, sins. So every generation is going to continue to be cursed. But I do, I do love that in Genesis 9, verse 1, God gives the same command to Noah and his family that he gave to Adam and Eve. And that is, And God blessed Noah and, said, and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So even though was, there was a reset, we still have the same command from the beginning. Um, but he doesn't just let his chosen people, people Israel, have a free-for-all and do whatever they want. And that's where the law comes in. 
So he gives them instructions on what he wants them to do, how to rule this creation and how to have dominion over it. So that's where we have the law, Leviticus and Deuteronomy and everything. So flip, flip to Deuteronomy chapter 11. And I'm just going to continue this cursed theme throughout that we have here. And this would have been what you know, cur- the word cursed would have meant to the Jews that Paul was speaking to here. It's kind of a big deal. So yeah, Deuteronomy 11, verse 26 through 28. It says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Now just flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 17. And verse 15 through 26, I'm not going to read, but I just want you to see it. So, so in verse 15, you can see it starts with, Cursed be the man. Verse 16, cursed be anyone. 17, cursed be anyone. It continues all the way through verse 26. There's just a list of all these things that you're going to be cursed if you do. And then in Deuteronomy 23, verse 22 through 23, is the very verse Paul is quoting in our text today. Then it says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So I take you to all those verses, go through all of that, just to show, to you, show you what this word would have meant to the Jewish community that Paul was talking to. It's a big deal. Like, if you don't follow the law, you're cursed. Um, so it's a big stumbling block for the early Jewish Christians, for them to just, it's just faith in Jesus, that's all I have to have for salvation. Um, so we can kind of understand the uphill battle that Paul had Um, But we know that it is just faith in Jesus. That is how you are justified. That is the point that he was trying to make. So how are we going to apply this to our lives? And that's where I kind of, this title kind of came to me, Cursed Belief. I want us to examine our own selves tonight. Do we have a cursed belief in our life? What that might look like and how can we deal with that? So I have kind of broken up into three different types of people. First one is the unbeliever. I don't think there's any unbelievers in the room, um, but we do need to know how to share the gospel with them. Um, so they're, they don't have a belief. They're cursed. Just plain and simple is disbelief. But in this area, everybody has faith in something, like Eric was saying last week. Um, you know, the belief that I can be good enough, whatever law they've made up in their head, whatever morality they have in their head that they can follow that makes them feel like that they're not cursed, that they've done this, that they're going to make it to heaven on their own merit, you know, we've got to be able to combat that. That is a cursed belief. You know, the belief in saying a prayer one time and I'm good, you know, or I go to church a couple times a year, or I got baptized when I was young, I'm good. My mama went to church. I'm good. You know, we get that all in this area. Um, and we, we got to help them. We got to join in the fight that Paul was fighting with the Jewish Christians with just our community here. You know, you know, everyone has faith in something. You know, 
They're under the curse of the law. It's a standard that they can't meet, um, and they need the Spirit of God to reveal, them, to re- reveal to them the gospel, ultimately. So it's the same fight Paul was fighting. So the next category I have um, is just believers. That's us in the room. Um, you know, many of us have uh, brothers and sisters that profess faith in Jesus, but they try to add something to the gospel to make them feel worthy, to make them feel like they, they can um, earn salvation. You know, but the truth is that no one is worthy of salvation. It is a gift of God, a grace of God, and um, to many people that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair. You know, but that is the beauty of grace. It doesn't make life fair, because if it was fair, we would all be separated from God from eternity. Uh, but some of the things that we try to add as believers, um, we have Augustus family, Church of, Church of Christ background, and some of us too, try to add bat- baptism to it. Um, that's no different than circumcision or trying to eat kosher or any law that it might be. Um, there's no saving merit in baptism, but to some believers, you have to do that. Um, we try to, you know, any work you can think of, reading your Bible, we kind of put that up on a pedestal, say we have to do that. You know, it's, you're not going to be cursed or your life's not going to end if you miss it one day. You may, you may feel bad about it, you know, but you don't have to worry about it, you know. Christ is taking it all for you. You're good. You know, and giving gifts. This is a big one in our culture. Go on mission trips just for that Instagram post. You know, go out there and hand them that. Take that picture at the same time, you know, and just to make you feel worthy, to make you feel like you're doing something, you know, feel like you're good enough that you deserve salvation. On the flip side of that, that there is nothing that you can do, but it keep you, you stay away from faith in Jesus because you don't even feel worthy. Why would he save me? You know, so those are all cursed beliefs that we could have. And like I said, if life was fair, you know, none of us would get to experience the grace of God. Um, we would have eternal separation from God. You know, salvation is a gracious gift from God, and we rejoice in that, that the work is finished, that Christ became the curse for us. Now, the final um, person I have here is kind of new to our age. And Eric hit on it last week with Bart Ehrman. And this is kind of going to be the struggle, I think, that our generation is going to face. And it is a cursed belief. Um, And that is a deconstructing Christian. So a deconstructing Christian is an interesting term. Um, But Bart Ehrman is a fully deconstructed Christian. He once held the same beliefs many of us do in the room right now. Um, but, but through his study of the very same things that Eric taught us over the past few weeks, he came to the completely different conclusion that it's not true, it cannot be trusted, the Bible actually isn't the Word of God. Many people are following in his footsteps, and he's leading them straight to hell. Now, a deconstructed Christian, I want to try to define for us because it's many different, and it can honestly be some of us in the room here. That's kind of what I wanted to, to bring out tonight to, for us to examine ourselves to see if we do have a cursed belief. Um, but basically, it can be defined as someone that is uncomfortable with the truth of God's word in some aspect or form, um, that they either choose just not to believe that section or uh, they want to modify or change it. Um, and then it's basically progressive Christianity in a nutshell, um, you know, on things of like homosexuality, should that be allowed? You know, can a believer be a homosexual? Um, hell is another thing that we might have a cursed belief about. How can an all-good, all-knowing God send somebody to hell? But I think I've laid that case out that 
Sin is what causes us to be cursed, is what's going to cause us to be separated from God, but he's made a way in Christ. That's how hell can exist. And in evolution, whether the world is billions of years old or whether it's young or whatever it might be, whatever we're hanging on to, that isn't Christ alone. Um, you know, there, it's false ideas. And I'm not saying that these aren't true believers. They could just be needing to mature. But we've got to be careful. You know, the real temptation for us all um, is that this right here would threaten your faith in Jesus. You come to a point, you let that idea take seed, take root, and then it destroys your, the true belief that you should have, which is having faith in Jesus and what he's done for you. So, I guess in the final way, the final application point that I want to make um, tonight is what does a blessed belief look like, the opposite of cursed? What should we be doing as Christians to guard ourselves against the cursed belief? And if we have any, you know, we need to confess that um, and we need to allow our hearts to be changed. Um, so flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and we're going to look at verses 16 through 18. These are familiar verses. All right. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we see three things here that we should always be doing. They should always guard our heart, guard our minds. Uh, first one being, rejoice always. Second one being, pray without ceasing. Third one being, give thanks in all circumstances. Your greatest need has already been met. Quit trying to earn it. Quit trying to add something to it. Quit worrying about it. If you have faith in Christ, the wrath of God has been satisfied in your life. And then jump on down to verse 23 and 24. And it says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Even your own salvation is assured. So whatever it is you might be struggling with, um, whatever difficulties you're going through, the only way that you can do those three things, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, is to have faith in Christ alone and let him be the sole focus of your life. And that's really what you're going to have to do to guard yourself about, against any cursed belief. You know, we need to always be growing in our desire for Christ, learning who he is, who he is what he has done for us, and what he's doing now, growing in our love for him. I mean, anything that takes the place a faith in Christ alone is a cursed belief. So, we just need to get out of the way, um, examine our heart if we have any cursed belief, confess it. Anywhere that your heart doesn't line up with the word of God, let your heart be changed. So, I always like to end with a quote from somebody smarter than me, and it's normally C.S. Lewis, so I have that for us again tonight. Um, just kind of on the terms of us just getting out of the way, letting Christ be who we are. And it says, the more we let God take us over, 
the more truly ourselves we become. Because he made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give up myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. So our personality shouldn't be ours. We should have the personality of Christ. He took on the curse for us. He became the curse for us. So I just pray that our hearts would be aligned with the word of Scripture just more and more um, and just guard our hearts against these things. So I'll pray for us and we'll be done. Um, Heavenly Father, I come before you now, God. I just pray in my rambling up here, God, um, that the Holy Spirit would just work um, in the hearts of the individuals that hear my words. God, I pray that um, if we do have any kind of belief that doesn't line up with your word, God, that we deem true but is not, God, you would reveal that to us. God, you would help us um, to confess that to you and ultimately, God, change our hearts. It's only by your spirit that our hearts are changed. So God, I pray that that, um, you would reveal that to us and then change our hearts, God. I pray that we would just realize that it is faith in Christ alone. It is your grace alone, God, to your glory alone, ultimately, that you save any of us. Um, it's a work that you do, God. And I pray that um, out of that word, God, that we would be able to rejoice always, that we would be praying and focusing on you always, and that we can just in all circumstances, God, just rely on you. And God, I just thank you for this night. Um, it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right.